Good morning. I have 11 o'clock, so we'll get going. Uh, my name is Carol, and I'm a compulsive overeater, and I am not only the backup leader for this meeting, the upfront leader for this meeting. So I, <laughs> um, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we begin, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, check again. I already did. Mine's, a, mine's on flight. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed, except for those authorized, like the thing is being recorded. If you speak, you have to hold this thing. If there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. There will be audio recordings of this workshop, which you may purchase outside in the foyer. I will share for 20 minutes, followed by five minutes of Ask It Basket questions, finishing up with open sharing. And then this uh, workshop, the marathon, ends at um, 10 to noon. The topic for this session is Clarity Will Replace Vagueness. And to start with, I'm to read a paragraph from page 55 of the Voices of Recovery. But I kind of like context, so I'm going to read the whole reading. It's February 24th. The illusions I had as a compulsive overeater were at the root of my illness. When exposed to the bright light of reality, these ideas, my old illusions, crumble into dust and blow away. That's from For Today, page 134. I carried the illusions I brought with me to this program for many years. For example, if I were a good girl, life would bring me no pain. When I married, I would be taken care of. I could control people, places, and things. Being thin would solve all my problems. If I had enough willpower, I could stop overeating. When I came into Overeaters Anonymous, these illusions were exposed to the bright light of the 12 steps, and gradually they lost their hold over me. OA gave me the courage, hope, and clarity to face my life one day at a time without eating compulsively. Today, I believe that living in reality carries with it the widest spectrum of feelings and challenges. When I keep the 12 steps close at hand, I have a chance to experience the promises and gifts of this program. And I'm Carol. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm going to tell you what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. I have pictures to prove what I was like. Um, I, my first OA meeting was in, the, um, in San Francisco, and I didn't like the God talk. And so, you know, God took care of famine, pestilence, and major disasters. Carol took care of Carol. So I, I went away. I didn't like the God talk. And I um, finished school, and got married, and I had a baby. And I, my husband at the time when I was pregnant was talking about dropping out of school with nine credits left. I did. I ate. I ate to feel better. I ate to comfort myself. I ate because it was the only thing I knew to cope. And I gained a lot of weight. And then I 
had the first baby and it came off. In those pictures, on the, the one on the half picture, I'm in the hospital with my second baby. The weight came off with the first baby, no problem. The second baby, I had, again, I weighed 185 when I went into the hospital, had a 10-pound baby boy, and came out weighing 185. <laughs> I was, you know, I ate whatever they put in front of me. And I knew about OA. The seed had been planted. I knew there was some place I go. I couldn't diet it off anymore. There was no way I could get rid of those um, the weight. I was unhappy. I hated myself. I felt totally unlovable. Who could love a person that looked like that? Who could love a person who felt like that was what I thought. Now, the picture on the left side with the three of us sitting on the front porch, that was in college in 1974. And um, I'd felt fat all my life. And there was no hope for me. There was no no place to go. And I knew the answer was in Overeaters Anonymous. So September 12th, 1983, I went went as a compulsive overeater to my first OA meeting where I knew I was where I was belonged. There was no other choice for me. Um, I couldn't diet it off. I, I just was not happy. And nobody around, you know, when mama's not happy, nobody's happy. So the house was not a very happy place to be. So I started Overeaters Anonymous um, in Pendleton, Oregon. And um, I had some good days, of the, uh, good days, weeks, months of, of um, abstinence back in those days. Um, my abstinence was really fragile. Twelve grapes was abstaining, 13 grapes, and I was off and running. Um, it was really easy to break the abstinence. And I, I remember out in the yard one day, I had these two little kids, and my husband's an accountant, and it's tax season, so I'm not going to see my husband probably until April 15th when he's done doing taxes. And I'm out in the yard thinking, nobody's doing what I want to do. I can wait until April 15th, and then it'll be easier to be abstinent because my husband will be around. And then I thought, I could just wait till the kids are in college. <laughs> and they're little, you know, they're, they're three and four years old. And I started abstaining at 4 o'clock that afternoon because I, I could see that wait till they're in college and it's going to be easier. What, a, what crazy thinking. So I started abstaining, and I had good abstinence for a while, off and on. So I started program in 1983, off and on abstinence. Fifteen years later, in 1998, I was at a retreat, and I built up enough recovery so that the keystone fell into place. And I have been abstinence, abstinent for um, 17 years now. And even when I talk about those stats, I want to say, who's talking? Is that 17 years of abstaining? That's incredible. It's beyond my wildest dreams. Um, and then I, um, I got sugar removed. I used to um, I have a God can, and I didn't want to overeat on sugar because I can eat sugar some of the time, and I can eat sugar and just go nuts. And I can eat sugar when I'm abstaining, and if, if, if it's with meals, you can learn a lot of nasty habits in OA. I, I talked to one gal who used to have she traveled for her work, so she allowed herself an hour-long lunch. Whatever she ate in that hour was lunch. Hey, works for me. I can eat a lot in an hour. Um, now I have three plates, 
one for breakfast, one for lunch, and one for dinner. And that's my meal. It's in front of me. It has a beginning. It has an end. I will oftentimes eat with a phone on the table, and I know who I'm going to call after I eat and say breakfast is over, lunch is over, or dinner is over. And sometimes I'll just say it out loud, breakfast is over for this side of the room. Because I was married off and on, and my husband's I had two husbands. They never were overeaters. They, um, you know, they didn't. They could eat all day. It wasn't a problem for them. So lunch was over on this side of the room, and I just need to hear that out loud. That's part of the clarity. It, it, it's it's said out loud. Ah, so I'm learning how to be abstinent gradually. Fifteen years in program before I had continual abstinence. And then going to this retreat, it fell into place. The keystone came into place. And I, I, I had it written down, and I didn't review it before I came. I believe the retreat leader was asking us to tell everybody what we were bringing to the retreat, what we were going to give. And somehow it wasn't what I was taking. It was what I was giving that made it work. And I have an abstinence. It's livable. I started abstaining. I figured out how much I'd need to eat if I wanted to weigh my goal weight. And so I don't like dieting. I don't like white-knuckling it. I don't like being hungry. Um, I have heard it said nobody's died between breakfast and lunch, and that's helped me get through some hungry moments. But um, so I, I had three meals a day, and that's just kind of the way it's evolved, listening to people, working with other people. Snacks are a four-letter word. Um, I keep cans, of, little cans of juice, because you know if you buy, if I buy a, um, a a carton of juice and it tastes good, I'll drink the whole carton right then and there. So I buy little cans of juice. If I need to tide myself over between a long, hungry stretch, I'll drink my little six-ounce juice, and it gets me over. I have a, I work for the Park Service. God has granted me a life beyond my wildest dreams. So my first Park Service job was at Crater Lake, and. Um, Long way, 60, 70 miles to the meetings, and sometimes in the snow, 522 inches of snow average in the winter. It wasn't, I stopped going for a year. I was still in OA, but um, I wasn't, the idea of going that far to a meeting just hadn't dawned on me. So this retreat that we had in southern Oregon that I was part of, I went to the retreat that year after working at Crater Lake for a year. And I knew I needed the face-to-face. This was before phone meetings or any kind of virtual meetings. And I promised my sponsor I would go to a meeting once a month if it was safe. And I went out the door one day, and there was this much snow, like about nine inches. And I thought, "Mm, I'm not going to drive in that. I went back in the house. The snow plow came around, and I went to my meeting. You know, God's watching out for me. God makes these things happen. So then I moved to Northern California, and I'm working at Lassen Volcanic National Park, and it's 45 minutes to town to a meeting. I listen to every single tape in our collection, the intergroup collection, because that's, that's quite a commute. And my sponsor, we worked together. I've been working with her since 2000. And both of us... There's a, a writing in the four-to-day book where this gal gets up on a Saturday and writes down everything she's going to do because she realizes she's got a lot she wants to do. So she said, what the heck? I'll write it all down. Two legal pages. Hello, I cannot do everything. And I used to wake up on Saturday morning with that monkey on my back trying to get everything done and do everything. And my sponsor was just like me. So part of our clarity is 
We don't do that anymore. Together, she and I were able to let go of that driving need to do everything. And she and I have together let go of the need to figure it all out. That's not my PD. That's not anybody's PD. You don't have to figure it all out. That's what my sponsor's for. That's what meetings are for. That's what people are for. Even at work, I don't have to figure it all out. It's not always fun calling somebody and saying, I don't know what to do next. This is what's going on. I don't know what to do next. When I started my job with the Park Service, I had three people to mentor me so I could spread out my lack of knowledge. Not everybody had the full picture. (laughs) You know, and you can do that in program, too. Not everybody has to know the full picture of how much help I need. But I, when I went from Pendleton to Klamath Falls, back early on in program, we always used to sit around in Pendleton at the meetings. We're going to make phone calls. So we'd all go home and sit around and wait for those phone calls to come in. <laughs> you, I, I learned at one meeting there were seven people at the meeting. I called one of them every night between meetings, and it strengthened the meeting. And I don't have to call it's hard to call. That's one reason why I like to do it after a meal. You, I got a reason to call. Dinner's over. That's why I'm calling you. And it, it helps me and it helps the other person. I think the telephone's one of the harder tools to use, but it's so much easier to work my program if I do it on a daily basis. I have a daily discipline, and I try to make three phone calls or three contacts a day. Email counts. Um, Phone is best. And I I, I go through my daily discipline every morning, what I did the day before, how I did. And if things are looking a little ragged around the edges, I can amp all my disciplines up. I, I make phone calls. I do meditation in the morning. I call my sponsor every day. And we read for one of these books, my sponsor and I. Because it is hard when you're making a phone call to be in program, it's always easier to say, oh, the weather's doing this, or my kids are doing this, or the cats are doing this. But this way, when we read the book every single day, we've been doing it since, two, since um, 2000, we're anchored in program. And there was um, something else. Oh, clarity. Vagueness versus clarity. I went to a lot of meetings before things stopped being black or white. Um, gray, it's not vague, it's clarity when everything's not black and white. There's so much gray. I'm not the pond scum, and I'm not the top of the heap either. I love it in the program when they say, I didn't think much of myself, but I was all I thought about. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's, we've all been there. And, and um, beating myself up, I had a friend that would say, put the stick down. Beating myself up never helped anything. I'm not pond scum. I'm not the queen of the queen of the world. I'm just another bozo on the bus, another recovering compulsive overeater. And um, people at meetings are so polite. You know, I've been to a lot of meetings, and I'm thinking she's full of. And, and, you know, that, that's stupid what that person's saying. But we never say it, thank goodness. And after the meetings, I, I've worked with people, and you, you believe they're coming from the bottom of their heart. They're doing the best they can. I have told people they have to stop overthinking things, overcomplicating things. Um, 
It is what it is. I learned with my first husband when we split up. I can't try and figure out what his motives are when he wants me to go someplace with the kids. Or, I mean, when, he's, when we're working together, I have to assume he's got the kids' best interest at heart. The kids are now 40s, I think. I don't know. They change all the time. And my son, <laughs> my son's in AA, and he, had, he ended up uh, having a real wake-up call. And we spoke on the phone every day for his first year of sobriety. And he says he wants to stay clean and sober so that if his little daughters, when they're in their 30s, need somebody, they've got their dad. Um, boy, working with other people, it just, it's incredible to um, see where they're coming from, see where they're going, and be in this program together. I've tried to work my, my program in my life so that I'm aware. Um, I know what's going on. Washing the dishes, it's a wonderful experience. I can be living in the wreckage of the past, or I can be there in that moment. And it's not always easy to stay there in that moment. I'm not perfect. Thank goodness, perfection is the highest form of self-abuse. I love that one. Control is not one of the promises, and thinking is not one of the tools. <laughs> You've been in program. I've been in program long enough. That I have all these gems memorized. None of them. Oh, I do have one original. Guilt, grandiose, unearned, illogically legalistic thoughts. <laughs> so you know, it's like what shame's a great one. Should have already mastered everything, and, and we don't need to go there to guilt or to shame. It just is what it is. We've got the steps. We can let go of the past. We can do our 10th step dailies. We can do the 4th, 5th, and 6th, and 7th, um, 8th, and ninth if we need more. But thank goodness for the, um, the program, and um, thank goodness for you folks. And I will wrap it up. I have business cards if you want my phone number after the meeting. Um, business cards. Personal cards. So are there any questions in the Ask It basket? Oh, sorry. Control is not one of the promises. Thinking is not one of the tools. <laughs> not one of the tools. How did I prioritize my recovery through motherhood? My meetings came first. Um, my husband knew I had the meetings, and I went to the meetings. In, when I moved to Klamath Falls and they were little, I went, we had two meetings a week in Klamath Falls, Oregon, and I got there and I said, we need a sitter. We've got to have a sitter for these meetings. And there was another couple with, um, with little kids, and so we paid ourselves, we paid to have a sitter come to the meeting. Um, I was not good to my kids. I ended up losing my temper a lot and yelling at them a lot. Um, but with program, I actually threw my son across the room, and he went to preschool with bruises on his face, and the teacher said, what did you do? And I told her. So we had to go, my husband and I had to go to counseling. And I had an Al-Anon sponsor, so I did a lot of work with my Al-Anon sponsor to um, cope with a marriage and with little kids. Um, 
you know, it's been so gradual. It's hard to say specifically other than I can remember um, I, I insisted on going to meetings and I had to have a sitter for the meetings. You ask for what you need in this program. You just hope God doesn't give it to you. And um, But you've got to ask for what you need. Um, and we've got to be kind. I can't just, you know, demand things. Um, but if I need a sponsor... I ask somebody to be my sponsor. And if someone wants me to sponsor them, I'm real busy, I'm not home a lot, you know, if they're going to insist on it, I'll work with them. But you have to, I have to ask for what I need, and I have to take it and go with it. And I don't know if that answered your question or not. Motherhood's not easy. I ended up divorcing my husband when my kids were second and third grade, and he had physical custody of them. So that was, that was interesting. Um, I'd go visit them. And they lived in uh, Pueblo, Colorado. And my husband was perfectly happy if I stayed at a hotel. And I said, okay, you're half expenses with me. You're paying half the plane fare. You're paying half the motel. And you're paying half the car rental. I stayed at their house for a week, two times. And it worked wonderfully because I was in program. Because I knew where my boundaries were, where their boundaries were. Um, I was there for the kids, and I, I can't double-guess, second-guess what his motives are. We're there for the kids. Um, we had a decent... I went to counseling, three-way counseling, him and I and a counselor on a conference call line when, when we were having troubles with the children going back and forth, and I learned not to badmouth him to my kids, never. Um, I could not do that because it wasn't good for the kids. And I paid alimony. No, I paid child support. And I considered it my dues to the I'm not married to Michael Club anymore. <laughs> but anyway, so um, that's all there was in the ask it basket. So perfectionism is the highest form of self-abuse. What's the control is not one of the... Promises. Grandiose, unearned, illogically legalistic thoughts. That one came from a lot of car trips without a radio. <laughs> but it basically, you know, don't do it. Don't don't put guilt on yourself. It's it's unnecessary. It's grandiose. So I can turn the meaning over now. We have about half an hour. So if you share, we are recording it, so you want to speak into the microphone. And they said you could just sign uh, the release form. So I'll leave the microphone up here, and the meeting is open for sharing. Thank you. Okay, your sharing is up for three minutes, and our timer is sitting right there.
is Joyce. Uh, I'm an overeater. And I'm sure. Oh, sorry. Hi, I'm, my name is Joyce, and I'm an overeater and a sugar addict. I, uh, I came to Overeaters Anonymous in 1988, and uh, when they were asking yesterday for people's length of abstinence, I was I wanted to stand up and say I had that many years of abstinence, but of course that's not the case. I have that many years of being in Overeaters Anonymous. And the interesting thing was uh, the last meeting we had session, a lady talked about uh, mental illness, and I had uh, been in a psych hospital, and at the psych hospital, they they sentenced me to go to every 12-step program that was uh, offered at that site, at that place. Oh, my goodness. I didn't belong in any of them, especially I didn't belong in Overeaters Anonymous. Who, who did they think they were? But I discovered that I really did because at this hospital, one of the things they did was they left food out all over the place all the time. And, of course, it was very high calorie. And if it was there, I should eat it. I mean, it was part of the treatment, right? So... So I was there for 30 days, and I gained 30 pounds. And, you know, that really smashed it in my face, that I belonged in Overeaters Anonymous, or, you know, that wouldn't have happened. So um, I'm here, and I'm glad. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Liam, a compulsive overeater. Hi, yeah, thank you for sharing. Um, it's not often we talk about um, the damage we've done to our kids, and um, I wanted to acknowledge that. Um, I also um, damaged my kids because directly because of my eating. You know, I would bake cookies for the kids and restrict how much cookies they would eat so I could have more than um, they did because I was so deep in my uh, addiction to food. You know, I, I um, was mean to them out of partly because I was raised that way, but partly because I was so deep into my addiction that, that I didn't want them around um, because I wanted to eat. And the only way I could have them out of the house or out of the room was to make them not want me. And it took me a long time to be able to admit that. And I lost their respect. I lost their love because of that. And there was a lot of stuff that I didn't even realize parents don't do to their children. Um, I was so wrapped up in my issues that it didn't occur to me that I was making issues for them. And, you know, the damage that I did to uh, my kids, I'm still trying to fix 
and you can't really fix it. And so, um, you know, I'm I'm just beginning to learn, you know, that uh, I damaged my kids because of my eating, and that's a real hard one. So I just wanted to put it out there because the more I put it out there, the more I uh, become aware and the more I can work with my kids. So thank you for letting me talk. Good morning. Oh, uh, my name is David, and at the risk of uh, crosstalk, <laughs> uh, I, I too have uh, damaged my kids. Um, and there's part of me I'm aware as I'm uh, – that said, I've also worked really hard on the program. And one of the miracles of the program is that uh, my kids love me. Uh, and you know, I celebrated a 30-year wedding anniversary a few weeks ago. They threw my two girls threw us a surprise birthday party, and I think kids do see when you're trying, you know. But still, I damage them, and their esteem, self-esteem, is not as high as it deserves to be. And there's part of me that feels like. Well, you know, all of this stuff happened to me. I had my own trauma as a kid, you know, and I'm working on this. And, you know, and I stopped the, tra- the cycle of trauma to the next generation or at least mitigated it somewhat. Um, and I'm thinking, don't I deserve something special like a blue star or, you know, something, you know? And there's nobody to, there to hand out, you know, a blue star. And, uh, the way I've come to terms with this is one, it's really great that my kids are still talking to me. That's my blue star. It's one of them. Uh, and two, um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say, but, um, that one right there is enough. Oh, there are other kids, other people who come from, you know, I have mostly first world problems. I mean, there are people who just have unbelievable problems, but within a mile radius of here, you know. And uh, so uh, gratitude has also helped me. Um, and I really, really appreciate the honesty. It takes a lot of courage to talk, for, my, for me anyway, to talk about this, you know. I mean, I put a hole in my daughter's bedroom door. Uh, once. I mean, what was I doing, you know? And, uh, you know, so anyway, uh, this is how I start to heal is by being honest. So thank you very much. Hi, is it on? Okay. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm Rosalind. I'm a compulsive overeater. And thank you so much for your share. I was so moved by it. I've listened to so many. I've been in so many of these marathon talks, and I haven't talked yet. Um, I've been in OA since 1984. I've been a very off and on, in and out, joining diet programs, coming back, um, doing crazy 
um, eating behaviors, um, overeating, undereating, anorexia, bulimia, just I have a crazy history with food beginning from the time I was five years old and um, sexually abused by my father and eating pieces of white bread with three inches of sugar on it as a way of coping with pain. And I'm just so grateful to this program for the revelations that it brings. Um, And I was so touched by your willingness to talk about children. I, I see that my... I so clearly see, so painfully see now how it's affected my daughter um, in raising her. I was always on some crazy food um, plan of um, either all natural foods, couldn't eat any cooked foods, or going on fasts um, where she was hungry. My friends would try to point out to me, your daughter's really hungry, and I... I was just oblivious. I was so, I was so caught in this addiction that um, it paid. She paid a big price for it, and she's now going on two hundred pounds overweight, and it's just heartbreaking to me. And I, um, I see my own issues with codependence of wanting to save her. I went to see her a couple of months ago, and picked an OA meeting that was near her in San Diego and, um, and casually asked her if she'd go with me and to just see what I've been doing all these years going to OA. And and she said, you know, she um, emphatically said, no way am I going to any OA meeting. I think it um, – and so I, I started going to Codependence Anonymous just – having, um, trying to deal with my fact that I can't save my daughter from all the ways that I've harmed her. (laughs) But I, I'm so grateful for being here. Um, this, my, all these years I've been in OA, I've never gone to a convention. And this has had such a strong impact on me. The last 24 hours, listening to so many people that come from where I come from and offering um, their ways of recovery. That, um, and I think um, I wanted to come to this when I first heard about it months ago in, in my meetings in um, – Marin County, and I couldn't figure out a way to be able to afford it. And but I, I felt this; it was almost like the tide pulling on me to come to this convention. I thought I'm finding a way to do this; it's going to work. I'm retired; I live on a very small retirement income. There's and and then I <clears throat> I tried different ways to do it um, to figure it out, and I completely gave it up last week. I thought you're not going; you can't afford it. And then I just started throwing out, calling people and saying, are you going? And and two people said, yeah, you can have sleeping bag in um, rights in our room. So anyway, my time is up. And I'm so grateful to be here. And thank you so much.
I'm Tony in recovery. Hi, everybody. And I've just been kind of writing some things on clarity that have uh, happened for me in program. And when I first, um, as many of us, when we first came into program, I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, but once I could get a tag that I'm a compulsive overeater, that gave me some comfort. And um, after being in program for many moons, uh, the clarity that I have found is that I have an addict voice within myself, and um, that addict wants to use in order not to feel, because um, feeling just wasn't safe. So I want to use the drug of food uh, to numb myself from my feelings, and... um, at the you know at the bottom of those feelings is really wanting to feel loved and accepted, and the clarity that I've gotten um, even more so in this program that for every problem that I have that there is a spiritual solution, and uh, so therefore I have to stick really close to my higher power and work that spiritual program so I can hear the message. Uh, that uh, my higher power has for me. Thank you. Hi, I'm Connie, a food addict and quantity addict. And I'm very grateful to be here. I'm sorry about my voice. I'm recovering from pneumonia, but I'm well enough to be here for a little while, and it's it's important to me. So I just wanted to say that I really loved your gems, especially the one control is not one of the promises. When I first came in in 2009, I treated this as a diet program, yet another one. I was successful. I lost about 80 pounds, and I was all all wonderful, and I changed like five sizes of clothing, and I was so happy. And then life started hitting, and in, uh, I think, 2010, I got cancer. My long-term husband walked out and moved in with someone else. My marriage ended. There was a lot of heavy-duty stuff, and previously, I would have turned to food to stuff my feelings. And because I felt so out of control, I mean, having this diagnosis, I didn't know what was going to happen. I had to really, I kind of worried and then used the worry just to stuff my feelings of worry and try to soothe. But the one thing I think that saved me through these years of, it's been a rough past five, six years, is that um, I, I learned the saying, live and let God, let go and let God. That's the one I'm thinking of. Or basically, que sera, sera. I, I used a worry box or a God box, and I put things in, that, and I started realizing, no, you don't have control over th- everything. No, the world isn't going to be necessarily fair. Just because it says California is a community property state, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. The judge can do whatever they want, and, and I learned to let go and not eat over it. Because previously, I would just you know, get upset and start eating to to soothe myself over, you know, major tragedies or even minor ones. And and so I'm grateful for learning the principles of the program and especially just to really let go, read, talk to people, ask for help. I never used to ask for help. I used to think I could do it all myself. 
you know, or I'm, I know enough, I don't need to really call. It was hard to call. Making those telephone calls are, are difficult. But it's actually saved me, and I'm happy to say I'm not going nuts anymore over whatever happens. Um, I'm just letting, letting go and letting God. So thank you. Hi, my name is Darlene, and um, I've been in this program for about 24 years. Um, And I'm so grateful for this program. Um, When I came to this program, um, I was probably, I was at such a low point in my life. I was at my heaviest weight. And I had no idea what my problem was. I came because a friend told me that her relationship with her husband improved. And and that's really why I came. I wasn't even, I didn't know I was a compulsive overeater. And I was blaming my husband for my overweight um, because he didn't like it. And um, what I found in this program is I'm not the most physically recovered person in this program, but I am probably one of the most spiritually recovered persons because I have found, I found a voice here. I found out um, who I am. Um, when I was young, um, I learned to shut down to my feelings. And I learned that by um, my mother. One of the ways my mother would tell me I, when I would share my feelings, I was upset or something. Instead of a hug or, or nurturing, I would get I would get a lecture on why I shouldn't feel that way. And so I learned to shut down. And um, I, I um, so I went through many, many years of my life never speaking up, never speaking my th- truth. So here, I was given that opportunity. Um, I'd go to meetings regularly at first, sometimes three times a week. And I got to share my deepest truth in the moment. And by doing that, you know, sharing was so frightening for me. 
My heart would be racing. You know, I didn't think I could speak. And, um, but every time I shared, I grew spiritually. Something became unstuck. Something grew stronger inside of me. And um, my spiritual connection, my connection with my higher power uh, has grown to be that I know is the most important thing in my life. Um, The weight is not as important. The food is not as important. But that conscious contact with my higher power sustains me at a very deep level. So I thank you all for being here and listening to me. into the microphone just leave it down there. Okay. Hi, I'm Bob. I'm a compulsive overreader. Uh, I really like the, the theme of this, the clarity. Uh, I've been in OA six years, and uh, about two years ago, or maybe three years ago, and really more so lately, uh, individual things have started clearing up. Uh, I, uh, For example, uh, I realize my wife has all the faults that I always thought she had, but they don't bother me anymore. I don't, I don't have secret thoughts, you know. You know, why do you, why are you doing this? Why are you, you know? Uh, um, I see that uh, I, I've lost my fear. I don't have fear of anything anymore. Uh, the future is going to take care of itself. Uh, whenever fear comes into my my mind, I uh, just do a simple uh, thing that I heard a guy say of relax and trust. I take a couple of deep breaths, and uh, that sort of takes care of the physical part inside me. And then I say trust. I trust that my higher power will <clears throat> will uh, take care of things. And uh, the cool thing is, I, I'm a great experimenter. I've done this enough times, and my higher power did take care of it, that I feel like that's something I can depend on. Uh, The other thing is I came to uh, understand what people have been saying in lots of different areas, that all there is is right now. And it's like there's a movie going by, and all you ever see is the current, you know, film, you know, the, exactly the current moment, uh, everything that happened uh, is over, and furthermore, everything that happened is perfect. Uh, I really fought with that one for a long time because I thought, well, what about all the bad things? And uh, my wife likes to say uh, everything that happened was supposed to happen because it did happen. And it's another way of saying uh, you can run run in your mind uh, what should have happened endlessly, and all it does is it takes you away from 
being in the present moment, which is the only time that things do happen. Uh, thank you. Um, so now we're going to close. Thank you all for sharing and participating. It is now time to close this session. Please stand and join hands as we close with... Um, Let's do I put my hand in yours. It is in this, if you haven't noticed, although it's tiny. Um,